This is an AMI podcast. Hey there, this is Kelly McDonald, co-host of Kelly and Company on AMI-audio. On our show, we talk about the events and happenings that are relevant to the blind and partially sighted community across Canada. With the help of our regional contributors, we'll keep you up to date on what's happening in your community so you don't miss out. So give Kelly and Company a try and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm Joyita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. As people with disabilities, we want to share our stories and lived experience. It's easier said than done. Storytelling as a person with a disability means putting yourself out there, putting your narrative with all its messy complexity out there. And out there can be a scary place. There's often acceptance, warmth, and open-mindedness. But there are moments of vulnerability and second-guessing. To story ourselves as people with disabilities is to invite others to read between the lines and glimpse our lives. Through the act of telling our stories, there is also liberation. Speaking up is a powerful act of resistance. Stories are a conduit to change. Today, we discuss disability and storytelling. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you're staying safe and staying connected. I know for a lot of us, it's been almost a year of being at home, working remotely, seeing all these changes in our lives. So I can only hope that whatever your life has brought you in the last little while, you're keeping your chin up and doing as well as you can. We have a lot of great programming here on AMI-audio, and I would encourage you to listen to all of it. Now with Dave Brown is a really good morning show. In the afternoons, you can hop over to Kelly and Company. You can get your daily fix for news and current affairs with the Gazette or Late Edition. And of course, right here on The Pulse. Now, I know we're doing fewer episodes, but I am almost at the end of taking uh, of recording interviews for the medical assistance and dying documentary that we're working on right now. It's been a fascinating journey for me as a journalist, as a broadcaster, and it really got me thinking about the work that we do as journalists with disabilities that really is a form of storytelling. And I wanted to explore this idea with one of the newer members of our AMI Audio and AMI TV family, Chris Vallée is a AMI-TV reporter from the Ottawa Bureau. He is, of course, the successor of some really incredible people who filled that role before, Shelby Travers. Dave Brown, coincidentally, was in that role before, too. So I'm really excited to talk to someone from Ottawa, which is a city that I love. Without further ado, Chris Vallée, welcome to The Pulse. It's so nice to have you on the program. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk about... uh my experience and, and share some insight on, on what we're living through today. I think that's going to be really interesting. Now, just bring us up to speed. When I said you are the new kid on the block, exactly how new are you? <laughs> how many weeks have you been with us so far? It's only been about two weeks and two days, so very fresh off the bat. 
Oh, that's exciting. I mean, you're still going through that honeymoon phase. They're getting to know people. They're getting to know you. What is it about Accessible Media Inc. that made you think, oh, I really want to work there? What attracted you to the job? Absolutely. That's a great question. So I've been incredibly passionate throughout my life about bringing stories that I am incredibly passionate about. So uh, when I saw this opportunity with Accessible Media Incorporated, I jumped on it because it really was something that would involve both my storytelling journey as well as as um, my experience living with disabilities. So I figured it was a perfect opportunity and I applied, took that leap of faith, hadn't heard for about three, four weeks. So I was losing faith a little bit, but then uh, that call, <laughs> yeah, that call came in and uh reassured me that what I did was was the right move. And, and that's kind of how the process began. And ever since I have never looked back, of course. Of course. Um, you know, it's a it is a leap of faith to apply for a new job during a pandemic. Now, I do want to talk about the storytelling piece. Uh, that's really fascinating to me. But tell me a little bit about what your thinking was during a pandemic. Were you open to making a change or what what were you thinking? Of course. So it came at a time that was very convenient for me because my past job, I was doing some HR work. I decided to take a break from journalism and uh, the contract had actually been lost because whatever happened, we just uh, lost the contract. So it was kind of this situation where either you decide to start on a new role within that company or you look elsewhere and uh, begin a new role with an entirely new company itself. So uh, when I saw this opportunity with AMI, I decided to jump on it because I had been looking for my return back into journalism and storytelling. I had taken about a year off of that, and that's what I studied, and that's truly what my passion was. So when I saw that opportunity, I, I took it upon myself and applied, uh, edited my resume, and, and took that leap of faith. But definitely joining a team during a pandemic has it's challenges. I mean, everyone has been incredibly welcoming and I'm so thankful to have technology like Zoom and, and Microsoft Teams to be able to see people face to face. But especially times like today, it's incredibly important to have that social connection. So it's been interesting to interview people via Zoom and, and via Microsoft Teams versus in person, because obviously there's things that you cannot uh, you cannot have their energy with you and, and kind of rub off on that and, and base yourself on that. But I think it's been good and I'm, I'm happy to join this team and everyone's been so supportive and welcoming. They welcomed me with open arms. So that's been great. So Chris, now that you're here and all revved up and ready to go, what are some of the projects you'd like to work on? That's a great question. So we're actually working on a documentary right now for AMI TV that it's funny because before I joined the team, it was already set in stone and it was a topic that was already been discussed um, by the Ottawa producer and, and videographer. Uh, that being said, it's a topic that I actually joined AMI and really wanted to bring forward. So it kind of was a coincidence in that sense, but mm -hmm. it really is talking about the effects of isolation and how important the virtual programming has been for people living with disabilities in terms of other stories I'd like to bring forward, I think it's incredibly important. I'm someone who has suffered from epilepsy and is currently suffering from that uh, in the present moment. And I've also had uh, quite an extensive mental health journey, which I'm now very thankful to have overcome. But it's been a challenge to be someone living with a disability and, and seek help 
uh, it's a little bit more challenging. There's some programming that is not as accessible as it kind of should be. Of course, it's getting better, but uh, those are stories that I would like to bring forward and dig into uh, along with so many other ideas. I have quite a big extensive list of what I am interested in and what, what I want to tackle. So that list That's keeps getting a- bigger. Yeah, that that's the challenge I find. Like every one good idea begets, I would say, maybe another five good ideas. And then you're just chasing after all of those opportunities and great people to talk to. When you think about your role as a storyteller, how do you how do you perceive yourself? I mean, when you're a journalist, there's an expectation to remain objective to deliver the facts, but there's also an expectation to bring your full self to the table and bring a point of view or an angle on a story that is unique, that has not been talked about before. How do you reconcile those two things in your mind? Absolutely. That's a great question. Um, And it's definitely could be challenging in some scenarios, but I think the one thing that I've been doing thus far and I think has been working fairly well to my advantage is being able to approach stories in an angle where I'm actually learning as I'm interviewing the person and I don't have this huge list of information that I already know of. Uh, That way, when I ask my questions, I'm actually expanding my knowledge myself. In terms of, of having the specific... Oh, sorry. I thought that was me. Uh, In terms of having... Uh, an open brain and, and approaching the angle in a fair way. I think that comes with time and practice. And I think I've been doing that fairly well. Um, would you be able to repeat the second part of the question for me? Sorry, I go off on a tangent and forget. That's fine. I mean, how do you sort of deal with the moments of trying to f- to find yourself in a story so that the story isn't just about you, but it also reflects you as a person. Do you feel as a person with a disability, that's something you'd like to see in the stories that you tell? Absolutely. I think that the fact that I'm a part of the disability community allows me to connect with the people who I'm talking to. Of course, we don't have uh, the same journeys, but we may have crossed paths in some type of way and and related on topics uh, that they're talking about. So I think that makes the story a little bit more interesting on my behalf. And and it also creates a good environment for me and the interviewees to kind of relate to each other. Of course, you can't relate to each other 100%, but being a part of this huge disability community allows you to understand each other. And I think that's crucial with storytelling. Uh, In the um, opening monologue, I reflected that as nice as it is to sort of share your story with everybody, there are also moments where you feel a little vulnerable putting yourself out there. Is that something that you have any experience with, how to overcome that feeling of, oh, I don't know if I'm doing the right thing, putting myself out there like like that with my story? That's a great question. I mean... If you asked me this question about six years ago or four years ago even, I would have said uh, what I have in my personal life is secret and stays within me and my family. But I've come to realize that in order for the stigma to lessen, you have to kind of be open about your struggle and encourage other people to also be open about their struggles so that we have this more inclusive environment in the world. I think... Yeah, four years ago, I was very private about what I faced and I kept it to myself because I I was very ashamed and I thought people would judge me. And now I have this mentality of I want to help people and I want to get my story out there in 
hopes that it will influence others and, and someone will read it and see, oh, wow, maybe I should get it out there too. And maybe what I'm facing isn't abnormal. I think the more this story is shared, the better it gets in the world and the less stigma is attached to it. So that's kind of my role now. I'm very open about my struggles. Um, and I now do volunteer work with organizations. I share my story to people who are currently struggling, trying to give them hope and and knowledge. Um, so, yeah, I'm very open about what I do and what I've struggled with. And I think uh, it's a long journey. It took me quite a while, but I'm here today and I'm not looking back. Chris, I have been to Ottawa a number of times in my life, and I happen to love that city. How long have you lived there, and what do you love about it? I've been here my entire life. I've had a break. I was living in Toronto for about a year and a half to do some television work and then returned to Ottawa because it has this special place in my heart. Obviously, everywhere you grow up has this uh, this nice little place mm-hmm. that you'll always remember. So I've been here ever since I was born. So I guess that's uh, 22 years. In terms of what I love, Ottawa is this cool place where it's a large city of over a million people, yet it has this really small community vibe this small town feel where you mm-hmm. feel like 1 million people is not really seen everywhere. It's, it's very spread out. So the community in Ottawa is very great. I really like the people and um, yeah, there's a lot of scenery. I'm always on NCC pathways to do some hiking and uh, get outside even in the winter time, although I have to bundle up a bit more, but mm-hmm. that's really what I love about this city the most. Do you skate down the Rideau Canal when it's all frozen? Um, Karen McGee, who works in the Ottawa Bureau, has been telling me that she's going to teach me to skate for years now. But then, of course, the pandemic happened. Are you? Uh, do you like sports? Yes, I do. I really do enjoy winter sports. Uh, I'm a great cross-country skier. Well, I would hope I am. <laughs> I say that I'm great, but who knows? I'll let <laughs> someone else judge that. Uh, downhill skiing, of course, uh, right now is not a thing because of the pandemic, but that's okay. There's there's always next year. In terms of skating, that's one thing that I am not good at. I might need Karen to teach me as well, so maybe we can tag team on that. <laughs> that's a good idea. I was going to say that my idea of a winter sport is to bundle up with um, maybe a cup of hot chocolate or cider in front of a warm fire. I'm not uh, I'm not too much of an outdoorsy person myself, but I'm glad to hear that, um, that you like to be outdoors. One of the other things about Ottawa that I love um, – is it is kind of the hub of all things political in the country, which is obviously the case. Do you happen to follow current affairs and politics? That's a great question. I do to a certain extent. I think that sometimes it could be uh, a little a little bit hard to follow because things change on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. In my past job, I was huge on going to city hall events, so doing municipal politics versus the federal and provincial politics. So Uh, In terms of federal stuff, I do follow it, but not extensively. Uh, But I do keep in touch with what the city councillors in Ottawa have implemented, uh, what they're thinking about certain topics. And I do like to go to city hall events uh, once in a while just to see what members of the community are saying, because that also gives me story ideas. 
That's a great point. And you know, one of the nice things about municipal politics is that if you're a person with a disability, it's a great place to get involved and raise those issues about accessibility, whether it's shoveling the sidewalks and removing snow because you can't get through with your wheelchair or making sure you have um, the audible parking signals. There are so many interesting stories that take place uh, when you think about municipal news that I think really benefit from a disability lens. Is that something that you've tried to bring to your coverage in the past? Is that something you're hoping to do, that we take these current affairs issues that everybody's talking about and look at them a second time through the lens of disability? Absolutely. I think it has to be done, and it's often, unfortunately, not done by other companies. Uh, I think that... Yeah, like you said, any topic can be viewed under that disability lens because we are human and just like everyone else, we face uh, these issues, whether that's shoveling your sidewalk or uh, getting around town. Uh, We do have paratranspo here in Ottawa, which is a um, disability version of OC Transpo, which is a bus system. But unfortunately, those services are often overlooked and and sometimes the funding isn't there. So those are the topics that I really care about. And I do think it is getting better. Um, They've implemented quite a few changes in the city, but there's always more work to be done. And I think it's important to have those stories come to life. And I'm hoping that I could be a voice for a lot of people of Ottawa, um, give them a platform to voice those opinions and, and get their word out there. Speaking of being a voice and providing a platform, some of the work that you're interested in doing here at AMI is talking about issues around epilepsy, which is something that I can readily admit people don't know a lot about. And what they do know is often shrouded in um, mystery and misconception, not to take away from your future endeavors, but what would you say is the most important thing somebody needs to know about living with epilepsy? Yeah, I think living with epilepsy, as someone would know, is very much a daily struggle and it's very routine based. So once you develop that routine and you have people around you who are aware of your condition and the fact that, you know, at any moment you can have um, a seizure, then you can live life just as if someone who doesn't have epilepsy. Obviously, I'm restricted to certain things, like I am very active and I like going to the gym, uh, but I do need a little bit more breaks than an average person because I you know, sweat a lot and then that puts me at higher risk and I get a bit lightheaded. So what I like to tell people is just because I'm living through this, it doesn't make me any different. If anything, it makes me exact same. I just need to take extra precautions and uh, live my life a certain way, which I'm totally fine with. I've been doing it for so long now that I've developed this great routine that I'm able to uh, perfect every day. And I'm, I live my life just as if uh, someone else would. You also mentioned in the first half of our conversation about your mental health journey. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that with us now? Of course. So I think the thing with mental health is that it's getting better, but it's often overlooked. Um, the reality is we all know someone or are someone who have dealt with mental health in the past, whether that's depression um, or what I faced. I faced anorexia nervosa, which is something that I was very ashamed about telling people because it's not something that's predominantly found in men. And I was a, a teen boy living with anorexia. 
So it was it was hard for me at first because I was often in treatment and I was the only guy surrounded by by females. And it's sometimes hard to see yourself in females because obviously you're the different gender and you go through different things. But that journey has made me such a resilient, strong person. Um, I am thankful that I went through it and uh, accomplished recovery and I'm now in a great place. I think that it was a journey I had to go through and it made me quite a strong person. So my goal today, like I said, is to break that stigma and, and tell people that it's okay to not be okay. And there are people out there to help you with these struggles. And I think a lot more work needs to be done in terms of making it more accepted. And obviously the funding uh, needs to be more concentrated on these areas because it's often overlooked even even by uh, provincial funding. But I'm hoping that it gets better with time and yeah, here's hoping you can only do so much. <laughs> well, that's a it's a, it's a good sentiment. But you know, I if I think about your journey, I'm wondering if the very idea that you were dealing with an illness that is predominantly considered a woman's illness, uh, and even then, I mean, there are conceptions about that being white women who predominantly suffer from eating disorders. Do you feel that those misconceptions may have played into your treatment journey in any way. Absolutely, because anorexia and, and eating disorders in general is one of the hardest mental health illnesses to fight off because you're essentially afraid of this necessity in life. We need food and we mm -hmm. cannot go without it and you're afraid to eat it. So when I kept trying to get better and it wasn't working, I thought that it was impossible to get better. And the fact that I was a man and always the only one in treatment alone surrounded by women, I thought I was different and no one else out there, um, you know, could see themselves in me. Thankfully, nowadays, a lot more men are coming out with the illness and, and owning up to the fact that they have struggles with food. Um, a lot of them struggle with being over uh, obsessed with fitness so mm -hmm. I think it is getting better. But yeah, back in those days when I did face it, I felt very alone and I felt like no one else um, saw the struggles that I had. And it was hard because when you feel alone and you're trying to recover, it's almost impossible to do so. And it's I was only able to recover when I was able to accept what I was facing was normal and that I would get through it. The other facet to an eating disorder is often about control um, how much we eat, um, how little we eat, how often we eat, uh, the exercise behaviors and trying to regulate weight with uh, excessive amounts of exercise. Those are just a few examples, not the only ones. Uh, one of the things that's come out during the pandemic is this sharp increase in eating disorders because so many people are feeling that so much of their lives right now are out of their control that they're often turning to food as a way to try and reestablish some of that control. Plus, we don't see a lot of those services and supports available in quite the same way during the pandemic. As someone who's had a recovery journey, what would you want to say to someone who's struggling right now during COVID-19 with an eating disorder? Yeah, you bring up a great point because it's exactly it. A lot of people are struggling, more people are struggling because a lot of their coping strategies have unfortunately been taken away from them. Uh, I would tell them, you can do this. It is a hard struggle, but the fact that we've been through COVID-19 for almost a year now in isolation, uh, 
try to use your experience and better prepare for the year ahead. Um, try to establish some routines, maybe Skype with some friends when you're feeling down, have a dedicated person that you can just talk to um, and lean on when you're having those struggles. And I think uh, try your best to be involved as much as you could and replicate those coping strategies that you had before the pandemic and try to make them, I guess, put a COVID twist on them and try, try to find some new ways of, of feeling good. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough question because like you said, it's, it's getting more common and I totally understand because people are feeling so alone, but I think the most important part is to try to find someone who can keep you busy and make you feel less alone. The other piece around this is, you know, I've talked to representatives from the organization Heads Up Guys um, that does a little bit of work, well, a lot of work in the area of men's mental health. And one of the things that they often say is, you know, guys just don't want to talk about this. There is a veil of silence when it comes to men and mental health. There's shame, there's stigma, there's I don't want to be seen as not masculine enough how do you get past the stigma and start a conversation? I really think it's taking that leap of faith because I was one of those people who thought if I put my voice out there, everyone's going to laugh at me and think I'm ridiculous. In reality, we live in this great accepting world. Um, obviously, there's more work to be done, but we are getting better. And the first time that I came out with the fact that I had been going through these issues, the support I got was insane. The messages that I received about people, you know, s being so thankful that I shared my story and um, they don't feel alone anymore. A lot of guys reached out to me saying, hey, I've been dealing with this and I haven't told anyone. And the fact that you told someone makes me feel like there's, there's hope out there. Um, so really, I would just think it's your brain telling you that you're not going to be accepted. But in reality, as soon as you do it, you're going to get some support. Uh, obviously, there's some people out there who do not accept it. And that's just the reality we live in, unfortunately. But the majority of people will be very thankful that you voiced your opinion. And um, yeah, I, I, I can't stress that enough. You know, I wonder in that theme about storytelling, being a way to make change in the world, do you think that your story that we've talked about briefly today is an opening for all of us to think about men and masculinity differently. I mean, we have all these stereotypes, right? Boys don't cry. You got to be tough. You have to be the breadwinner of the family. These really harmful and limiting stereotypes. Do you think your story is an invitation to get past all of that and redefine what it means to be a man? I would really hope so, because that's my goal through sharing all of this is to tell guys that you're allowed to cry. Uh, just because you're a man, it doesn't exclude you from human emotions. Uh, I think that, again, the stigma is getting much better. I'm in a very happy relationship. And sometimes I cry in the relationship. And that's okay. Uh, even though I'm the man in the relationship, it doesn't mean that I don't have emotions and I'm not human. So yes, of course, I think that's a topic to talk about and, and discuss in more detail. But I think more works to be done. And in order for that work to be done, more men have to come out to the fact that they are human and they do have human emotions and they go through things just like anything else. I mean, these mental illnesses don't have a gender assigned. They're not gender specific. So why is it that we always associate it with women? That I'm not sure. 
Well, that is one of the things you can help us answer in all the work that I think you'll do down the road here at AMI. You've been a pleasure to speak to. Welcome to AMI. And I think I speak for everyone when I say that I'm really looking forward to seeing and hearing the work that you're going to do for us down the road. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure speaking with you. That was Chris Vallee, who is an Ottawa Bureau reporter who joined the AMI-TV team. If you missed my conversation with Chris, you can find the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Also head on over to ami.ca forward slash on the pulse. Our technical producer today has been Roy Swivel, who is in for Nisreen Abdul-Majid. Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. And of course, Paula Deneen is our technical supervisor. Thanks a lot for listening and have a wonderful rest of your day. Stay safe, everybody, and we'll be back again with more Pulse right here on AMI-audio. This was an AMI podcast. For more accessible media, visit AMI.ca. Hello, I'm Sean Priest. Join me monthly for Sean of the Shed, where I introduce you to all the technology that can be so useful to us as blind or partially sighted people. Find Sean of the Shed wherever you find all your podcasts.